I'm Joshua Kagey from The Christian Citizen, and this is Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas sits down with Greg Mamula and Angela Gorell for a conversation around their respective contributions to the book, In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis, on what we've learned about the church, our communities, and ourselves during the pandemic and other crises our nation has faced over the last year. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas. I'm Curtis Ramsey Lucas, the editor of In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis. And I'm joined today by Greg Mamula and Angela Goral. Greg is the Associate Executive Minister of the American Baptist Churches of Nebraska and the author of Table Life, An Invitation to Everyday Discipleship. Angela is Assistant Professor of Practical Theology at Baylor University's Truett Seminary and the author of Always On, Practicing Faith in a New Media Landscape. Both are contributors to In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis, a collection of essays that answers a series of questions about what we are learning during the pandemic and the other crises we have faced in the past year, about God, about ourselves, about being church, being neighbors, and about our country and world. That's a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to cover some of it in our conversation today, as well as in two other Facebook Live events with other contributors to the book on Tuesday, June 1st, and Tuesday, June 8th. Greg's chapter, What Is This Time Doing to You?, focuses on the opportunities that crises present to our ask ourselves the hard questions to change, to slow down. In her chapter, Can These Bones Live? Christian Witness, Crisis, and the New Media Landscape, Angela asks what God is doing in this new media landscape and how we might better embrace its possibilities for Christian work and witness. I'm happy to welcome them both to this episode of In This Together Tuesdays. Angela, you write that... Thank you for having me. Sure. You write that before... Uh, the spring of 2020, it would have been difficult to convince most church leaders in the United States that technology should be used to discover and engage in new forms of community outreach and Christian witness. Were you surprised uh, by how quickly churches were to embrace Zoom, live streaming, and other communications technologies at the outset of the pandemic? I, I was not surprised, no, um, because churches, I mean, I, it, it, it was it was fascinating to me, honestly, as someone who had studied new media for you know nearly a decade before this happened uh, for nine years. I, it was fascinating to me because so many church leaders that I had talked to and a lot of, um, so for my dissertation, when I was getting my PhD at Fuller Seminary, I, um, I did a survey of, and 1,483 people responded to it um, from 37 states and over 25 denominations. And the overwhelming majority told me that their church had never helped them to think about how their new media use 
was connected to their faith. Um, the overwhelming majority of people said that churches just like never addressed media. Um, and, you know, and so, and a lot of times when I would talk to, um, church leaders about new media, they really fall into this trap before the, the co- before COVID hit of, of dualist, of, of, uh, dualism of thinking about that like that the that digital spaces and physical spaces um while they are different and i i agree with that but that like you that digital spaces can't nurture community they can't offer anything to people as it relates to worship and these sorts of things and so it was fascinating to me to see how quickly they picked up on new media when they realized that their um, you know, their church would shut down if they didn't. <laughs> and so the thing is, is that I'm not surprised because what they realized was there's no other way to meet with people other than in digital spaces or in using new media. And we're going to all lose our jobs and our church is going to shut down unless we figure this out. And so, but often it takes a crisis. It takes a disruption of some sort for us to, uh, you know, use our imaginations and do things differently. (laughs) You work in academia and as you uh, have just mentioned, you've been writing about this for some time, this need uh, for churches to engage in community outreach and witness. What was the transition to online teaching like for you in your own role as a professor? Well, I'm actually really lucky or something. I don't know what the word would be. Maybe that other other people might say uh, not lucky. I don't know. But um, I, you know, I was a PhD student at Fuller Theological Seminary, where which is where I started adjunct teaching for the first time. And Fuller, I think, first did So they did like long distance learning, which involved email and using the computer in 2005, I think. So Fuller was really early to the online, you know, long distance learning stuff. And so actually the first class I was ever given as an adjunct professor in 2000. 15 was an online class. So I never taught it. I didn't teach it. I taught as a T I was a teaching assistant, you know, a TA um, for in-person classes. But my first class that I was actually the in charge of was an online class. Um, And then I also taught hybrid courses for Fuller, which me like you're online and then in person for a week and then online, you finish all the assignments. I did Fuller Live, which you're in person with one group and you have other people that are in another space, you know, so Fuller was pretty early to the game, so to speak, especially for, for like a seminary. And so when the pandemic hit, I had been teaching online for uh, six, five years, you know, at, at different points and hybrid classes and stuff. So I was really prepared and I felt grateful for that. Greg, you work with some 70 American Baptist congregations spread throughout Nebraska, as well as several churches in other parts of the country. Um, prior to the pandemic, were you using platforms like Zoom in your work? Well, much like uh, Dr. Gorell mentioned, most of our churches were not um, really equipped for for that sort of thing. We we did use Zoom for meetings. Um, Nebraska's a fairly large state, at least geographically, um, and so there are churches that are 
you know, eight, 10 hours away from the region office. And sometimes we meet with them via Zoom um, when it was convenient, but we always tried to have as best as possible a ministry of presence, physical presence. Um, and so, so not as much, you know, not as much technology. We certainly leaned into it um, once the pandemic hit, just as we were just discussing. Um, so, you know, not, not too much, not really. Right. Used a lot of social media, uh, a lot of videos, you know, things, that sort of nature, but not, not really regular meetings. Um, but they, most churches were not real comfortable with having us uh, zoom into a live worship service or something like that at that point. So. Angela, beyond uh, moving worship and education opportunities online, which we've seen a fair amount of in the past year. What are some creative examples that you've seen of churches using technology to continue to meet needs in their communities in the past year? Uh, One of the most creative, so I felt like Elm City Vineyard is a little church in New Haven, Connecticut that, I mean, it has a couple hundred people, um, but it's not, you know, so massive or anything like that, but they did some really, really creative things during the pandemic. And so big shout out to Elm City Vineyard. I actually attended there for a few months when I was working at Yale. And so um, that's how I know about the church, um, I guess about a year of the time there. So um, Elm City Vineyard, they, they did something where they were meeting online for prayer with people in the morning and at night at the same time every day. I think it was like 8.48, you know, something very hip and cool like that, (laughs) where it was like 8.48 a.m. and 8.48 p.m. or whatever they chose. Um, They were, you know, getting online and creating space on Zoom for people to just share prayer requests and to be prayed for. So their prayer team split up um, and, you know, that everybody took a time and a day uh, or a few times and days over the course of several months. And I thought that was just a really beautiful way of like caring for people, reaching out to them. Um, and, you know, uh, it was like, it didn't matter whether you went to their church or not, you could get on and be prayed for, which I thought was really wonderful. Um, I also, I have a friend, um, Stephanie, and she uh, created um an opportunity for people in their community. They, they, and I can't remember how they advertised it, but um, she reached out to different organi- to pe- different organizations and they shared it with other people. Like if you have um, lost someone during the pandemic and you haven't been able to have a funeral service for them, especially she works with, um, with uh, like, people with like with very little resources so especially like people with like low socioeconomic status and so low-income families and so if you haven't been able to have a funeral for your loved one but you would like to be a part of a memorial service where we're going to honor people who have died um, during you know covid um, and it was just a beautiful thing that she did for her community and they remembered they called people by their names they talked about what they meant to them they lit candles from wherever they were in this you know digital space like just a very creative a powerful way um, to connect with people and care for people during that time. Um, I know another church that um, created liturgies for families and and, and households of just roommates together um, to do together um, each week during the pandemic that were really comforting things, you know, for that, like special prayers, readings that they could do that were meant to be comfort and they made it, you know, available to people on their website for free. So definitely I was really impressed by certain communities that I saw and just what they were doing 
uh, to try to connect. Oh, another church. I will say one more. Um, there's a church called the table in Washington, DC, and they did a lot. I mean, they're always doing creative stuff. I actually studied them for my dissertation as a community that, so they used Twitter ads and I think Google ads, um, to start their church, uh, about a decade ago. Um, and so, and they had a huge concentration at the time of millennials, which is why I was really fascinated to study them in 2014. It was a church of like several hundred millennials. And I was like, okay, churches are really struggling to get millennials to be a part of their congregation. Like, what are they doing? And one of the things that they do is a dinner party every month in a, in, in like that happens in every neighborhood around DC. They have like people who host dinner parties and they're the only point is getting together to eat and connect and like have friendship. So the point is not like, that is the point eating is the point connecting is the point um and so but what they do is they track people who've attended these dinner parties um like so all the hosts like have an excel spreadsheet and they'll give it to the church and what they were able to determine is that um basically everyone who ever went to a dinner party ended up coming to their church for a worship service and so um this but so what they did is they moved these dinner parties into zoom and they just told everybody what to make and all this kind of stuff and they were having to zoom dinner parties all throughout covid and keeping people connected so, so yeah, several churches that I saw that were doing really, really smart. Oh yeah. Okay. One, can I do one more Curtis? I know sure, I've been absolutely. Okay, one more. Um, there's a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico that I heard about where they put out Facebook ads. They had a pretty, they have a pretty generous budget. Um, so they put out Facebook ads, um, w- like text this number if you would like someone to pray for you. We know that COVID is like a really hard time for people. And then they had this huge, this prayer team and all these people who signed up and they were always like, you know, somehow connected to this number, I guess, you know, there's always somebody like some human at the other end of this. And, um, when people would text and say like they were first of all they were so shocked by how many people texted this number and wanted prayer um, from someone and so they would call these people um, back after they texted them they would pray over them on the phone and at the end of the phone call they would say hey I don't know if you have a church community but when we open up again and they ended up opening up pretty early I think for most churches but and meeting in person they were socially distanced with masks you know but they said um, if you would like to come to our to to like our church and just check it out you know because we're a really like loving community blah 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 you know i will be the person who meets you at the front door so just text again you know this number or whatever and i will this is my personal cell phone you know and i think at the time that i heard about it like over 140 people had taken them up on that and had actually met you know people at the front door because i think that's a huge part of you know, it's hard to visit a church when you don't know anyone. It can be very overwhelming. And so they were using digital connection to to nurture in-person connection. Yeah. So. Greg, I want to give you an opportunity to respond here. Um, Greg has written a book about table fellowship and the importance of, of gathering in that way. I just would be interested in your response to that um, in terms of what the table is doing in D.C. And also, I think, um, how you've tried to adapt that during a time of social distancing. Yeah, Um 
I've, I've heard about the table in DC. I've never gotten to be part of it, but it is a pretty impressive story. Um, there's something similar in Kansas, in the Kansas city area, um, not too far from Omaha here. And um, it's like a collection of little dinner churches, if you will. It's like a network of dinner churches. Um, it's, it's, it's very powerful at how, Something so simple as gathering around a meal can create space for people to, you know, be an entry point into the kingdom of God, you know. And so it's it's been pretty neat to see how churches have adapted to that. I think it's one of the easier things that um, was possible uh, in during COVID. I mean, I, I, you couldn't always get together for meals, of course, because of social distancing and, and, and things. And, um, it's hard to get the fork through the mask. Um, and so, but there was, um, several churches who would do just, just what was alluded to, they'd get together and they'd, um, have meals together. Um, I know specifically of, of one congregation, uh, in Nebraska that, uh, we worked with and they had a, kind of this this table group going already but then when um, the pandemic began they decided to stay apart um, and isolate but what they would do is that they would set their own dinner tables in their homes in the seats that if they were all gathered together um just the same so like families like, like they'd have um this this group of 12 and so they'd set this big table in each of their homes for for 12 people and they'd sit in those spots and then they'd point their cameras at the table and so it kind of looked like when you put all the squares together like they were at one big kind of banquet together and they would go through the process of, of the table life experience so they'd read scriptures together they they'd um, pray together they'd tell their stories um about what god was doing in their life that week and that sort of thing and and they hear the stories of others and and then they would also take communion um in their own homes um together and so so that was kind of a neat way they they utilized the platform of zoom to to make that happen uh, similarly, other churches, um, I, I know that we're, we're trying to do some some table activities, would do uh, Facebook Live type things where people could just kind of pop in and out of, of an experience. Um, other churches, uh, I, had, I had a group of friends, what they would do is they would set up uh, their phones and stuff in their kitchens, and they would just, while they were cooking together they would choose to make the same recipe and they would all be kind of cooking together kind of live in in that kind of way so it was kind of some neat ways to to kind of mix some of those experiences and and i think it kind of brought them together and and they got to tell their stories of of, of just what was going well and what was not going well for their personal experience during the pandemic and and have those uh, touch points were, were still happening Greg, your uh, chapter explores the question, uh, what is this time doing to us um, or to you? And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what was going on with you just before the pandemic hit. I think you have kind of a unique perspective on this. Yeah, so um, I had hurt my knee in December of 2019 uh, playing basketball with my son and some of his friends. And turns out that when you're a 38 year old guy who doesn't stretch before basketball, it's, 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 you know, you can get hurt. <laughs> so I tore two of my meniscus and my ACL and it was a pretty significant uh, injury for me because I had never been injured. I played a lot of sports. I've been hurt, but I've never been injured. Right. With like casts and things. And so um, this was, was, was a new experience. So I had surgery in uh, mid January 
and it was a six week recovery process and it's winter in Nebraska and miserable. And so I can't even wear, you know, long pants. I have to wear basketball shorts because I got this huge brace on my leg. And, um, I'm, I'm classic personality that like I, I sometimes value, uh, or I find value in, in finished product. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing something because I've produced a document. I'm doing something because I've preached a sermon. I'm, I'm, I'm active um, based on, um, you know, just being busy, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. And um, I, I had to stop you know, with, with my knee, I couldn't drive. I didn't go to work for several weeks. Um, I wasn't preaching in any churches or, or anything. And so, um, I was meeting with my, my spiritual director at one point along the way. And, um, he really pushed me on some of that, you know, why, why do you feel like you have to need to accomplish something during your knee recovery? Cause I began to just list all the ideas of things that I could do. I could, I could do some more writing. I could, you you know, um, watch all the AFI, you know, movies, film Institute, hundred best movies or, or whatever. I mean, I was trying to set some goals here for the recovery process. And he's like, um, he stopped me. He said, you know, maybe it's not what you do with this time. It's what is this time doing to you? And so began to really kind of reflect on, why do I have this drive to be so busy? Why do I um, place so much personal value and worth on in product type um, things? And um, so, so that's what led me into the uh, early part of 2020. And then I came to work for all of two weeks before the pandemic sent us home. And uh, so I spent a lot of time at home, last year for sure. So I mean, is it, it, it's that kind of what you were alluding to? Yeah. You were, you were well prepared for the uh, pandemic experience. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was home alone for like four weeks, you know, cause the kids were all in school and my wife was working and those sort of things. Uh, it was a whole new animal when they all were home as well. And right. so, Absolutely. Different transition. Angela, do you think uh, the past year has helped Christian communities and Christian leaders gain perspective on what is possible as far as engaging mission in a media landscape is concerned? You know, for some people, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think some I think some pastors, some Christian leaders of communities do see that there are more possibilities um, for I think especially um, the main area I see is just that I like, I think a lot of churches bought equipment to live stream their services. And I think that they'll continue to do that. Um, I think the majority that bought equipment will say, Hey, like we'll always make this, you know, so I think a lot of them will, will continue to make that available. Um, but I, I don't know that we learned a lot about how to, so one of the most important things about the new media landscape, one of its most important qualities or characteristics to under, to, to understand is that it is, it's, um, a participatory culture. So new media, the like digital spaces are meant to allow people to participate. They invite people to share their opinion, to use their voice, to post what they think, to share what other people think, you know, to, to, to express themselves through videos and gifts and num- numerous things, right? Mm-hmm. So the new media landscape is about 
participating, about engaging. It's about dialogue. It's multi, you know, and, and it's actually one to many and many to one, you know, the, I mean, and then the thing is, is that worship services tend to be incredibly um, unidirectional. Worship services tend to be not very participatory. I mean, you have Episcopalian churches um, and other, you know, and some churches where there's liturgy that you can, you know, you respond to, to a leader, there's a call and response, or there might be times when you stand up and you sit down, you stand up to sing and you sit down. But as far as it really being about your story matters, you need to join this conversation, talk to the people around you, connect. There were not, there. it's pretty much very unidirectional. And so to simply live stream a worship service is not really to engage in the new media landscape. It's not really, you know, and, and, and I was, to be honest, I was pretty disappointed with, I mean, I, I did not see hardly any churches doing anything different with their worship service. I mean, there was a few that I, that I like, you know, witnessed and I saw on Facebook live and stuff like that who were trying new ways of getting, you know, but I, you know, the vast majority basically went into a sanctuary and did what they always do and just like showed it to everybody. And I was like, this is not new media. New media is supposed to be engaging and dynamic and, you know, it's about conversing. It's about connecting. It's about, yeah. And so I don't know that we learned a lot about new media culture and why people get online and what it means to engage people in digital spaces. I think in, in some ways it's interesting because you you now take what you normally do in a physical space. And I think a lot of churches found, oh, suddenly we have this new audience. Um, I, we've experienced that in the church that I attend where we have uh, former members across the country, around the world. They're connecting. They're excited to connect uh, in that way. And yet, there, as you're saying, there really are. How do you integrate those two things? How do you integrate that physical with digital participation, how do you get those folks kind of uh, working together in some way? So it's not simply, we're just replicating online what we're doing physically. Have you seen examples of that done well or have suggestions for how that can be done well? Um, I mean, I created an entire guide that was that's, that was free for multiple months called like, um, what did I call it? Something about like creating participatory worship services. And mm -hmm. I was really trying and I gave a million ideas in this very long guide of how to engage people in digital spaces. So um, I talk a lot about um, doing hybrid ministry. And so the idea of like meeting in a digital space and then giving people things to do, having them go out and do things in person. Like, so I'm thinking about spiritual practices. I'm thinking about community practices and so like that coming back together, talking about how it went, reflecting on it, sharing stories, praying about it together. So, um, Pasadena Mennonite church is a church I used to work at in Los Angeles. They did a really good job. I think during this time of making their worship services, even more, they are, they already are kind of a church where like, it's a small community where you're like in the middle of the worship service. If you have something to say, you could like interrupt the person who's preaching and talk about, you know, talk together. It's a Mennonite church. That's so very like 
you know, um, people are very, yeah, they were respectful of each other, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So when they got online, um, they definitely would tell people, Hey, we're going to have communion and you know, make sure you have your bread and your juice around, you know, so we can still take it together. Um, they had times where people were, um, telling stories about what was going on, like really dynamic prayer request time of people sharing with each other, praying over each other. Um, the sermons were much more participatory than they ever had been before. I, you know, I think where it really was a conversation where it was like someone was putting questions out to people and then them talking about it and they were leading the conversation, you know, so they were meeting on zoom and it was a very, and for them, it was, um, it wasn't just like you could join the conversation on Facebook live. It was like, you need to have a unique zoom link Um, and anybody could join but they didn't it wasn't just like hey we're trying to get an audience it was very much like if you're going to be a part of this you know and it wasn't like you could watch it later because they were saying like this is like a conversation that's happening and i thought that was smart too um because a lot of people that just like were like you know oh you can watch it later i mean it's easy to just never get around to it or to not feel like, you know, or to like cook while you're listening or work out while you're listening or whatever. And then it just becomes not what church is, you know? And so another thing about the new media landscape that I think I just want to highlight is that we live in an information saturated time. So we used to live like in a time in history, like, um, you know, so pre, pre the digital age, you know, information was scarce for a long time. You know, I mean, we, before the printing press, especially like very, very information was scarce. Like you had to, and a lot of people couldn't read or write. So they had to go to experts to get information, um, to understand religion or, you know, to understand politics or what's happening in the world. And so we thought people had to get together and share information. You know, we live though in an information age where there's so much to learn so much to know that it's like, we're overwhelmed with information. And that's why I think, especially about Christianity. And so people come and are a part of Christian communities. I think they need to be, instead of given more information on Sunday mornings, like really, how do we sift through all the stuff that we're hearing and overwhelmed with in our lives, you know? And so this, this church I think was doing, Pastor Mennonite did a really good job of actually getting the community to take the time that they were spending together, like have it be live in, you know, in, in, uh, in synchronous time, you know, um, and really let's spend this time connecting with each other. Greg, are there uh, churches that you've seen who are doing that well, that kind of hybrid reality? I mean, we sort of start off, um, physically present now, um, completely distanced, but bringing those two together, that the digital and physical, do you see examples of that in your work? Yeah, of course. Um, and, and I think one of the things to, to really wrap our minds around is the digital space is real space, right? It's mm-hmm. not, it's not other, there's not reality. And then this other space over here, it's, it's one space and we live in both and we exist in both. And so I think that was the first real hurdle to wrap church leaders minds around is that this isn't just a temporary substitute for real church. This is in fact, church, this is life. This is where we live and move and have our being. And so we're going to, we're going to do this here. Right. And, and kind of what, um, we talked about very beginning about, you know, what does it mean to be a disciple in new media landscapes? Right. So um, that became certainly conversations people were having. I mean, it was beyond the pandemic. If it was an election cycle. Right. And so people were just 
destroying each other online in some some pretty brutal ways. And so so pastors were really having to navigate how are my congregants interacting with one another? Because if they were in church or in a Sunday school class or uh, a women's group or men's group or Sunday school or whatever, they're not going to be blowing each other up like this in person. And yet they seem to have the freedom to do that online. And it was really divisive and it was hard pastoral work because it was splitting congregations, you know, and, and we've seen kind of the ramifications of that long term. And so I think a lot of the things that pastors were doing, um, were really kind of interesting and and helpful. There there were some youth groups that um, really utilized things like Instagram well because that's a platform that that students really enjoy. And um, I know some churches that um, would would throw up a photo of something interesting and say like, give me some comments on this and and what does this have to do with walking in the ways of Jesus? You know, and or they say send a photo of something that represents where you saw God today, you know, something like that. And so that's a way for them to have those kind of conversations. And uh, the youth group then is kind of has that feed and and, and they can see those things um, also became kind of cool ways for, for, because there's like a time limit on TikTok and, and these sort of things, the videos were much shorter and, um, and so you could do these little devotions, you know, or uh, just ask some questions and, um, and, and kind of created that community already, you know, the dances of course were always very popular. And so getting students and churches together to do like funky dances and, and things was, was kind of a fun way to kind of keep them all together. Um, I, I, I've liked how some of the take home discipleship materials have been really good. Um, and, and a lot of churches, but I think more importantly is that it became a space for them to, um, teach how to utilize them well in the home. I think for a really long time, we've uh, made the mistake of, you know, using a church like a store, it's spiritual goods space. And if I need something, I'm going to go get it. Um, but otherwise, I'm not terribly engaged with it in, in the everyday. Uh, this is a classic problem. This is not new. It just got amplified um, with the um, COVID situation. So uh, I, I saw with some of our pastors, they got the opportunity to really slow down and to teach some really crucial spiritual disciplines that they may not have had the same platform to do in an uh, omnidirectional worship experience where there's preaching and they're singing. But how do you slow down long enough to teach them about like how to pray well or to fast or to practice silence. I mean, who's practicing silence in a worship experience? I mean, that's the whole point is to make noise and to talk and to preach and to sing. So to encourage people to, to do those things is, is, is different. And so these pastors, they create these take home bags for families, and then they could practice these disciplines at home and they could go to the videos that their church had created in order to like, this is how you practice this. You know, we're going to go through this slowly. We're going to light a candle. We're going to take off our shoes. We're going to say these call and response prayers as a family. And it was kind of neat to see how, um, People really, I mean, as Baptists, we we're firm believers in the priesthood of the believer, right? The active participation in 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 the life of the congregation and in, in, in or in in our own spiritual development. But so often we, we don't actually live into that. We say it, but we don't do it. We abdicate that leadership to other people. And so to see families, husbands and wives praying together for maybe the first time in forever, roommates praying together, kids um, reading scripture and, you know, in, in the homes and, and whatever. So, I mean, these were, were kind of neat 
fun um, side effects that some of this stuff that we had turned over to the institution were kind of being reclaimed. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of burnout. I think they're ready for the institution to take some of that back over, kind of like the homeschool situation. Please go to a classroom, you know, but um yeah, so I've seen some 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 really neat things, and um, one of my favorites, I guess, was during Lent. Um, they did, uh, you know, during the Tuesday before you cook all the the leaven and stuff. A lot of churches do the pancake dinner on Trove Tuesday, right? And so, um, one of our church's pastors sent home everybody a pancake mixes you know the church bought all the pancake mix for all the the houses and stuff and then um for whatever reason growing up they his grandmother had this tradition of cooking the pancakes and then flipping them to people at the table from the kitchen right so it's this really funny thing that his family just did growing up and um so he did a contest who has the best pancake flip and so he sent on all this discipleship stuff about Lent and, and Shrove Tuesday. And then so everybody make pancakes and then film your best pancake toss. And like people were just posting hundreds of these videos, <laughs> dozens, I mean, hundreds, dozens of these videos um, right on that feed. And so everybody got to see everybody's kind of fun pancake toss contest. So I think that's an example of how some of this has been used well. Creative and, and, and fun, which is good. Um, Angela, as we begin to uh, gather again in community, do you think uh, the lessons we've learned will be carried forward? Do you think there will be a tendency to leave some of this behind um, and return to old forms and patterns? What do you what do you kind of see on the horizon? Um. I don't know. I, I think I think the tendency will be to just to um, I mean, definitely for the next few months or, you know, probably July through December to really focus on the in-person experience and probably reignite the worship service that everybody that most churches had done before because people have been missing it so much. Um, I think that the practical theologian in me <laughs> would say that the vast majority of churches, I don't think will continue to really pour into new media engagement unless um, unless they really saw some fruit for it. Like, I think if they were creative during the pandemic and they saw fruit from that, then they might continue to do some of those things. Um, like, you know, lead pastors, especially. I think that probably youth ministers will continue to do more to do hybrid ministry uh, because like they, they can't help but to do it. I think I think if you want to be someone who invests in the lives of 13 to 25 year olds, you're going to have to use new media. And so um, and so, yeah, I think probably people who work with youth and emerging adults will use it more and more creatively than lead pastors. And I think some lead pastors who really did see the fruit of it will continue to try to be imaginative in the ways that they use it. And like I said before, I think a lot of churches that bought live streaming equipment will continue to live stream their services. So having having made that investment, we'll continue to to do that. Um, Greg, in terms of the, the work that you're doing with the churches in Nebraska, do you do you see changes in, in uh, structures within churches uh, in terms of um, 
more of a focus on digital media, um, even part time or volunteers who are kind of moving in to, to fill that uh, niche? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hope that they keep using more of it. Um, a lot of the churches not in Omaha Lincoln are are pretty rural and there are people who've had always reasons certainly during harvest or early calving seasons or whatever in those contexts um, where people can't physically be at a church building and so um, having access in other ways is is helpful um a lot of them have invested quite a bit in their streaming platforms. Um, so a lot of their stages, so to speak, have got truncated down to a camera size this big, you know, so we'll see what happens with some of that. Um, I think the big thing for, for them has, has been is um, kind of moving away from that sermon centric experience um, because they've learned the need and the importance of community activities, community dynamics. And so I think for our Baptist churches who are very free church, very sermon focused with music, with, you know, music offering sermon. I mean, those are kind of the things that make up a service. I think they've discovered some fun things with some of the more liturgical call and responses, prayer times, practices of silence. And I'd like to see some of them carry a lot of that forward. Um, even with the um, maybe the live stream comment sections are, are, are there uh, as, as features as well um, that they've incorporated well at times. So, I, I mean, I think, I think Angela's right. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of them are just going to revert back to pre-COVID type things. But my hope is, my hope is Sunday was Pentecost. And part of that experience of Pentecost was that the disciples were in the room observing a holiday that was very familiar and very comfortable. And that's when the spirit showed up and did something new and dynamic. Uh, and it merged the old stories of covenants and images of God's presence with wind and fire into a completely new thing that became the church. Right. And so um, I think we can, if we can embrace that new, if we can come back to what is familiar, come back to the sanctuary, come back to the Sunday school classrooms, come back to the building that is, is beloved. Um, but once we get in that space, can we wait for the spirit to show up and then respond to something that's new that might be rooted in something familiar, but, but will have new dynamics to it that might include these online platforms and variety of other things, but who knows what else, because so much of the most powerful ministry I've seen lately are things like table in Washington and whatever, where there's, it's different. It's so different. You, you know, it's, it's hard to project what it will even look like, but will you lean into it or will you run away from it and say, I just really want what used to be. I also, I want to highlight one person too. Uh, so Tom and Lindsay, um, they're a, a couple who work with people who have 
done what they call the evangelical exit. Um, like, so they feel particularly like called to people who, um, to minister to people who have been a part of churches, especially people who've been pastors and then chose it and then like left ministry um, to help them to like who people who are very like still compelled by the life of Jesus, believe in God, but who want to um, connect with faith in new ways after having been many of them, the people that they worked with have been um, victims of abuse in the church um, of all sorts, uh, abuse of power, you know, in different ways and stuff like that. And so one of the things that they were doing um, a lot during the pandemic was having Zoom meetings with people where they were doing dedicated to Lectio Divina and like making strange the familiar and reading the Bible. Um, and so, and really encouraging. So they would get together with these people in like, um, you know, circles of like 15 people, 10 people at a time, and just engage in this practice, like teach them about Lectio Divina and how do we read scripture with new eyes and not try to read into it what you've always learned, like been told or what you've learned in seminary or what you taught before and all this stuff, but how do you know? And um, that was proving to be very, very powerful. And that's another way that, I mean, that's a, that's a worship service. It doesn't, I think, you know, like that's a way of helping people to connect with each other and connect with God and connect with scripture. That's very participatory that can happen in, in a digital space and be really powerful in people's lives. Um, imaginative prayer is another way to do that in a digital space. Like you can do that in a, in, in a physical space or a digital space, and it can be really powerful ways for people to enter into a story in scripture. Imagine that they're there, imagine how they would contribute or what it would feel like. And, you know, anyways, um, those are a couple of things that I'm seeing that. So in some of my, my um, youth ministry students in the fall, um, tried out imaginative prayer with teenagers in, um, in a Zoom uh, space and it w it was really really good so excellent well I want to thank you both Angela and uh, Greg for taking the time to be with us today yeah yeah thank you thank you for your questions and I want to thank you as well oh go ahead Greg I was just going to also say thank you for inviting me oh sure and I want to uh, also thank you of course for being contributors to this book and uh, and for both of you for your, your work and witness. Um, if you would like to engage uh, this conversation further, I encourage you to post questions and comments on the In This Together Facebook page at Ministry in Times of Crisis. The book is available from Judson Press, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Bookshop, among others. If you've already purchased a copy, we thank you for that. And if you've enjoyed it or found it useful in your life and ministry, I encourage you to leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads. Um, in the spring of last year, a former U.S. Senator, Bob Dole, said something uh, that has stuck with me. He wrote about his own uh, life experience. None of us walks the path of life alone. We help each other along the way. Uh, those words have really stayed with me uh, throughout this pandemic. Uh, and as divided as we are, we see, I think, regular reminders of that, that we walk the life uh, together. We walk this path of life together, helping each other along the way. 
Thank you for being a part of this conversation today. I invite you to join us for our next two In This Together Tuesdays, June 1 for a conversation with Deborah Jackson and Marvin McMichael, and June 8th for a conversation with Matthew Krebin, Margaret Marcusen, and Michael Wolf. Take good care, everyone. Look out for your neighbor. Let's continue on this path in this together, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. At The Christian Citizen, we're passionate about justice, mercy, and faith. We produce award-winning content that is provocative, timely, and relevant. What started 25 years ago as a print-only publication is now a digital-first, multi-platform media brand. We've added an award-winning weekly e-newsletter, this podcast, and a growing presence on social media. Now, for the first time, we're adding a member support program, Christian Citizen Ambassadors. Learn more about how you can support our work at christiancitizen.us slash members. Thank you to this week's guests, Greg Mamala and Angela Gorel. Our theme music is Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Tell. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagrid, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMichael, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thanks for listening.